And uh, we're going to look at this text here tonight. May the Lord help us here through these uh, verses. And you know, watching the lives of other people can be some of the best ways to learn the lessons that we need to learn in life. Watching other people. Uh, Sometimes the best lessons you can learn is watching the consequences of sin in somebody else's life. Uh, some of the other great lessons that we can learn is watching the blessings of God in somebody's life for obedience. And, and those are encouraging and they're helpful. And, and, and so watching, seeing God work in other people's lives are powerful. I remember my cousin one time, Carrie, was telling me about uh, being in grade school. And one of the, one of the patterns, one of the, the things that the principal did then, how many went to school and got paddled in school? Yeah, how many got paddled in school? Yep. Okay, you, you guys didn't have that. Around here, They up in the early 1990s, I know my uncle at Republic, they still paddled them in the high school in the early 90s. And I don't know when it quit. But my cousin, this would have been probably in about the 60s, he said in grade school there uh, in Aurora, <laughs> they, uh, the, the principal, when he paddled, he paddled with the loudspeaker on so the whole school could hear it. And you'd hear the whoosh and the crack and the rah, you know. He said it'd be throughout the whole school. And he goes, you talk about a quiet school. It got quiet. It got quiet. And uh, you talk, a pretty good deterrent, too. And I'm telling you, what I'm saying is you can learn from watching other people's lives. You can also learn uh, from watching the blessings of God in people's life who just choose to believe God and follow and obey. How can we not think of the life uh, in, in this earthly life of George Miller? Uh, you, you remember him, right? He had all the orphanages in uh, in England. He, but listen, between uh, in, in his life and in his ministry, the, the the children that he brought in, that he housed, and that he clothed, and that he fed, and that he educated, over ten thousand orphans passed through the ministry of George Muller. Ten thousand. Not only that, he pastored a church, I believe, somewhere around twelve hundred. He never asked for a dime. He, if you've read his life story, you know this about George Muller. He said he prayed for everything that he ever needed, and God always brought everything he needed right on time. I remember reading of, of D.L. Moody, and Moody spoke about going to see uh, George Muller. He was wanted. He heard about him. He heard the fame of him. He wanted to go see Muller, and he went over to England. And he looked at the, 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 the orphanages. And if you see some of the old pictures of them, friend, these weren't like the shantytown. The, these were bricks and beautiful buildings, massive buildings. Every last penny of it prayed in by George Muller. And Moody just stood there in awe looking at all of this that, uh, that had been built by George Muller. And, of course, Moody, the consummate salesman that he was, just he looked at all and he said, how do you do it? What do you do? Is it this or is it that? I mean, he wanted to know the formula that Muller had for building this massive ministry. And Muller, Moody's, in Moody's words, Muller, Moody said, Muller said, I pray. Moody said, I felt like such a small man next to this guy. Totally changed him. No, no, when you watch somebody's life who is sold out for God, and you watch the power of God on their life. I'm telling you, it does something for you. Listen to this. He was known in England. He's still known into this day. But he was even known of the secular world. How many know the author, Charles Dickens? Dickens wrote about George Muller. 
Get this. Listen to what he said. I'm going to read it to you. He said, among the curiosities of literature in our day is a work of which four parts have, have appeared at intervals entitled The Lord's Dealings with George Muller. The first edition of the first part was published 20 years ago. The fourth part appeared only last year. The tone of this very singular book is like that of the author of the book, Bank of Faith, who, when he wanted a new pair of trousers, prayed for them overnight and found them by his bedside in the morning. But Huntington prayed generally for himself. Now listen, George Muller, this was known of Dickens, George Muller George Muller takes thought on the orphan and has accomplished in his own way a substantial work that must secure for him the respect of all good men, wherever they may be, whatever may be the form of their religious faith. Charles Dickens wrote of George Muller. Wow. The greatest lesson the world can know is to see the power of God working at work in the lives of one of his children. It's a powerful lesson. Here we are in Joshua chapter 2, and I'm going to show you this in Joshua chapter 2. Moses has died. A little bit of a, back, a backdrop here. Moses has died. He's off the scene. Joshua is now God's choice to lead Israel. And Israel has gathered along the banks of the Jordan River, preparing to cross finally, after 40 years, preparing to cross over into Canaan. But on the other side of Jordan, there's something else waiting for them, and that's Jericho. Joshua had sent some spies out here to Jericho. And if you notice this time, he, he only sends two, two spies. Joshua was of that first committee that went out of the 12 spies. Remember, 10 were bad and two were good. Do I have to sing the song for you? Okay. And he went out of that first one and uh, he was the only, him and Caleb were the only one that said, Hey, uh, let's do it. God said, okay, and uh, we can go. But you, we know what happened. Joshua and Caleb ended up waiting to go into the promised land. They waited another 40 years to go into the promised land. Okay, can I tell you this tonight? God has made promises to some of you. And listen, it, Joshua and Caleb going into the promised land, waiting 40 years, it wasn't their fault. They believed God. It was the people around them that held them up. And listen, some of you have been praying for some things and it feels like God hasn't come through on some of the promises that he's told you. Can I tell you tonight, it may not be you. It may be some that are around you that really, I hate to say it this way, either need to get right or, 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 or to, uh, or to be, uh, be uh, done with their tenure on this planet before God can do what he's told you he's going to do for you. Sometimes, listen, he, they had to wait. They had to wait, and uh, don't, don't, don't doubt, okay, what God's already told you. Just hold on. Here it is, Joshua and Caleb, 40 years later. He's got a little wisdom now from watching Moses, right? He's not sending 12 spies out this time. He's sending two. Two's enough, right? We don't need all these committees. They make a lot of problem. Too much doubt, right? And here he is sending them off. Now, I want you to notice this. Remember this. Uh, Joshua, I don't believe, was sending the spies. We, I know this but for a fact, really. Joshua wasn't sending the spies in to see if they could get into the land. Joshua was sending the spies to get an idea of how to go into the land the best way. He'd, hey, Joshua's already been in the land. 
Think about this. 40 years earlier, he had already spied out the entire land from the top to the bottom. He came out of there and said, it's, yeah, yeah, milk's, the, 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 you know, the, 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 there's the milk, it's a land of milk and honey. The grapes are, the grapes are great. The fruit is wonderful, just like God said. And yeah, the giants are big, but who cares? We can take them. And uh, the other two and ten said, absolutely not. And uh, we know what happened to that. But he had already seen the land the first time, and he believed God then. Listen, he's not sending spies to see if it's possible. He's just sending some spies for some wisdom to see how to accomplish it. Hey, can I tell you something tonight? Uh, listen, there, there are people all over Nixa that need the gospel, that would believe the gospel, and that would get saved if they have the gospel. But sometimes we just have to figure out how, we get, how we're going to get it to them. We don't go out in unbelief on Saturday or on Thursday or at your job or any time like that. Oh, no, don't do that. Don't fall into a trap of going out with the gospel in unbelief. Sometimes you just need to go out and figure out the best way to get it out for, the, for, for, for what you're doing. But no, never, never go out in unbelief. Listen, the, the gospel has all of the power in and of itself to save. That seed has all of the power. When it fa- falls on the right ground, I'm telling you, it's going to come up and it's going to bear fruit. and People are going to call on the Lord Jesus Christ. Joshua has learned some lessons from his past. He's moving forward in wisdom and he sends these two unnamed spies out to Jericho to get an idea of what they're going to run into. They're, they're not not going, they're going, but they're going with wisdom. They're going with wisdom. So they get into Jericho, or they get to Jericho. And we see here from our text that Brother Jim read, the Bible says that they went into the house of an harlot. Well, that's weird. Look at verse 2. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came, there came men in hither tonight to the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thy house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said, Thus there came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. People said, oh, God used somebody who lied? Well, God didn't tell her to lie. Don't get all bent out of shape about it. She makes her living in one of the most worst ways, all right? She's not the paragon of virtue here. And God didn't tell her to lie. She lied, okay? And, uh, and she said uh, they, they went on their way, right? And uh, it says here, um, uh, uh, verse 5, And it shall come to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark and the men went out, whether the men went, I wot not, Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house, and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords, and soon as they were pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate, and before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. So here are the spies, they go into Jericho, and the first thing they do is they find the town, in, in town, they find the, 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 the house of the prostitute. They find the harlot's house, and they go in. Now the king is, the, people noticed it, right? The king did notice, and he, and, he, and he was curious to who these people were. Why? Well, I don't think he was curious because there was two men at a harlot's house. Actually, I think that's probably a little bit of the wisdom why the men went there, Right? 
I mean, who's going to question whether two guys show up at some harlot's house? Now, if they had gone into town and started asking a bunch of questions everywhere, the town would have been like, well, who are you? Where do these clothes come from? Why are you dressed like this? You don't look like us. Where are you? I mean, listen, it's, they're, they're going to be in a real pickle. And I, but I think the bigger thing, the bigger thing that may have done was, if you remember here over, I think, verse 12, 13, somewhere around there, her house was on the wall. So watch this. When they get to Jericho, they have a home they can get into. It just so happens to be a harlot's house, which is doors are always open to men. And I don't need to say more. And uh, but it's on the outside of the city on the wall. They're not going to get tangled up on the inside of the city inside the walls where they can shut the gates. And all of a sudden they're stuck. A little bit of wisdom here. Right. There, it doesn't. It's, it's unconventional wisdom. Yes. But I mean, listen, we're talking about war here. We're talking about they're getting ready to wipe out this city and they're trying to get an idea of what's going on. And uh, so here it is. It's easier for them to escape, which actually the text proves out. This is exactly what happens because when they get there, uh, they're going to be they're going to be dropped down out of the wall here in just a little bit. I don't want to get there yet. But so they visited this harlot, right? But they're going to, watch, when they get in here and they begin to talk to her, she comes up to the roof and she's going to discuss with these men. She's going to, I'm telling you what, these two spies are going to find something out that is amazing. They're going to be shocked at what they learn from this harlot. Verses 8 through 10, would you look at it please? And before they were laid down, she came up uh, uh, up upon them, uh, uh, I'm sorry, unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did under the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our heart did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth belief. I tell you, you talk about shocked. They, they got there and they realized they're coming to the city for the first time. And they realized this, this harlot already knows who they are. This, this Rahab, the harlot, already knew about Israel. She already knew about the miracles. She already knew that the land was given to them by God. And she knew, she knew about the God of Israel and the miracle-working God of Israel. And what, is, what do we find out here? She's absolutely terrified. She said, our hearts didn't melt. They, she knows they're coming up and we're next. She's absolutely, completely terrified. Do you not think those spies were encouraged? <laughs> they, they were. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder. They could wait to get back and tell Joshua. But in verse 11, look at the confession that Rahab makes. Our, our hearts melted. We lost all courage. Look what she says here. The Lord your God. L-O-R-D. Jehovah. G-O-D. Elohim. The Lord your God. Jehovah. Your Elohim. How on earth does she know this? These are the names of God. How does she know to call him Jehovah and Elohim? She's paying attention. 
She knew what was going on around her. She was watching what God was doing in the lives of these Israelites somehow. She says, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. I'm telling you what a confession that is of this whole harlot. She said, I know Jehovah God. I know He's God. He's not just God like the pagan gods that are off in the the ether that nobody ever sees. No, He is God in heaven and He is God on earth. He is in control of heaven and He is in control of earth. What a confession. How did she know this? Look Look what she says here. Verse 11, And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in my in any man, look at this, because of you. How did she know this? She said, because of you. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, God was doing this through Israel. Watch now. God, are, are we watching here? God was doing his work and showing his power through this group, this family of Abraham called Israel. And watch, she saw God and she saw the power of God and the might of God so much that she said he is the God of heaven and the God of earth. She saw God work, how? Through the lives of these individuals, through the lives of Israel. Because of you. Because of you. Yeah. It's pretty good, isn't it? Hope your mind's cranking already. (laughs) So they give Rahab a token in verse 14. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Now notice in verses 18 through 20, there's the terms. Notice the terms of the token. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of this house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, okay. Do you notice the terms? All who are in your house will be saved. All who are outside of the house will be lost. And if you say anything... Contracts null and void. That sign of the token, how interesting. A scarlet thread. A red thread flowing down from a window up above, down a wall. Coming from a window at a place, watch, where there is safety. Where there is safety, where there is protection, where there is salvation. The men of Israel said, we'll pass over that house. These men well knew the Passover, didn't they? They knew the death angel passed over that home where the blood was applied. And they put up a symbol up there, a symbol of blood. They said, when we see the... Hmm, 
should have written a song. When I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. He said, when I see that thread, I will pass over you. If you're in the house, whoever it be, she was worried about her mother. She was worried about her father. She was worried about her sisters. She was worried about all of her family, all that they have. She said all of them. And he said, hey, whoever, it doesn't matter. I love this. Whosoever will, (laughs) whosoever will may come. These weren't even Israelites. These weren't even the chosen, right? These were a bunch of Gentiles. He said, if, if whoever's in that room where that scarlet thread has come down, you will be safe. I'm telling you, you can't get a clearer picture of the gospel in the Old Testament than this. I love it. So this is it. That's the encounter. Joshua sends some spies out. They find this harlot's house. She comes up and begins to talk to them, pours her heart out to them confesses who God is, believes who He is, and knows that she's in trouble. Yeah. And her whole family's in trouble. And uh, she comes under a covenant with them. And when they come up into, listen, when the children of Israel come up to, to, to Jericho and they come into those walls, the very first thing they, that the spies tell them, all of the, 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 the men of war, don't touch that house. Bring them out alive. And before they destroyed that city, before those walls came down, do you know archaeologists have found a place in the wall? All of the walls of Jericho, of course, fell inward. The the rocks are tumbled upon themselves, falling inward. And there's one section of the wall that did not fall. (laughs) It's still there. I have no no problem believing that was Rahab's house. So through the encounter... Watch, now Israel's learned some things. Israel has learned a few things from this encounter. God has given them confirmation for His will. Look at verse 23 and 24. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. And he said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. The heathen nation of Jericho, they already knew some things. They knew that Israel was coming. They knew that God had given them the land of Canaan. And they knew that God was working in a miraculous way. They knew that. And because of the evident hand of God at least for Rahab and her family, she was ready to repent and surrender and yield unto the God of heaven. Why? Why? Because of what God, watch, because of what God was doing in Israel, she saw it. She witnessed it. And she had some wisdom about her in saying, we're dead. And so you know what you do? You fall under the mercy of this God and see what happens. You know what she found? She found a merciful God. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Verse 11 again, she said, Our hearts didn't melt. No more courage in any man. All because of what God had already done through Israel. Because of you. Because of you. Did you know that Israel had no idea that Jericho, 
Israel didn't know that Jericho knew <laughs> what God was doing. Israel had no idea of knowing that Jericho knew what was going on. Israel had no idea of knowing, they had no idea of knowing what God had, that, that, no idea of knowing that Jericho knew what happened at the Red Sea. That Jericho knew what happened to the other kings of the land. They, they, Israel had no idea of knowing that. And can I tell you this many times, we don't realize who's watching us. We know this. Uh, we don't know at work who's, who's watching our life. We don't know in the grocery store who's watching our life. We don't know as we go around town, as we're walking the streets with door hangers and tracks and things like that. We don't know who's watching our life. I think many times when we get up to doors, I wonder nowadays with technology, if they don't answer a door, or they do answer a door, if a text goes out across the neighborhood, it's like, they're coming, right? Get ready. Hey. Yeah. Hey, the world is watching your life. They're watching my life. They're watching this church. They're watching what's going on here. Here's the question. Are they seeing God do great things? Is that what they see? Are they seeing God do great things? Does the working of God in our life, watch, does the working of God in our life, does the working of God in this church, is it bringing people to a place of submission and yielding and fear under the mighty hand of God? Is it doing that in their life? All because, can the world sit up and say, well, because of you, because of you, because of you, because of you, man, I need to know who God is, and I, I, need to, I need to come under a covenant with this God. And I, 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 I'm terrified of where, who I am and where I'm going. That's where Rahab was. She came to where she was because she saw what God was doing. Do you know God many times is limited in our life because of us? Listen to the 78th Psalm, verses 40 and 41. How oft, speaking of, of the children of Israel, even in, in the wilderness, how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned, their, they turned back and tempted God, listen, and limited the Holy One of Israel. You know what the only thing that limits God is? Our unbelief and unyieldedness and unwillingness to live an obedient life. And watch, when we come to that place, the world who should be able to see the mighty power of God doesn't get to see them. And they grope around in their own sin and lostness. What do we allow in our life? What are we allowing in our life that is limiting the work of God? You can mark it down, friend. If they're not seeing the power of God in you, you better hope they're going to see it in somebody else. <laughs> but why wouldn't you want them to see it in you? What kind of heart says, well, they'll see it somewhere? Right? Yeah. As we look around our town, as we look around our state, our country, we look at our entire American society. We stand here frozen in shock at what's going on, don't we? Sometimes it's like the, the jaws dropped. We're just a gaping open mouth 
watching things go on. There was something just on the on the news article today online about some sodomite transvestite transitioning whatever group of people that have come they they were just blatantly saying we're coming for your kids we're coming for your kids and they are they absolutely are yeah i wonder if we're we we are where we are today because it's been so long since the world have seen the power of god in the lives of his people When's the last time a secular author like Dickens wrote anything about a child of God? When's the last time, right, Ernest Hemingway or Maya Angelou or, or, uh, or uh, um, Steinbeck or any of the others, when was the last time they ever wrote anything about witnessing the power of God in somebody's life? Whether they agreed with them or not, they couldn't deny it. Wow. Yeah, obviously something go, something's different in their life. Maybe, that, maybe that's one of the list of reasons why we are where we are today. The, the old preacher, he's dead now, but J. Harold Smith said he knew of 21 different men who, who, were, who were present at his preaching, who rejected the preaching of the gospel, some of them who even mocked and laughed through the whole message. He knew of 21 men during his ministry who rejected the word of God and were dead within 24 hours. Yeah. Lester Roloff gave a list of Texas officials who came up against the homes, the list of them, and after each one he said, dead, dead, dead dead in a very short period of time of natural causes yeah percy ray would preach these old tent meetings and percy ray would preach this one message called god's stoplight to hell and he'd walk around with this red stoplight that he'd swing around and when he preached on hell and i've heard the tape i've heard the messages i've heard them and you can hear towards the end of the message when he's coming in and you can hear him and he's got this whole voice and he's raspy and he's he's preaching on god's stoplight to hell and you can hear them wailing and crying and screaming out in the background it's it's the most haunting and unbelievable sound you'll ever hear of people coming under the conviction of the spirit of God. There was a day when Billy Sunday would come into town and bars would close. There was a day when a pastor or a preacher showed up and people got nervous, kind of like, kind of like old Samuel when he'd show up and the town would go, is it good? Is everything all right? Yeah, they're a little nervous. Yeah. Listen, friend, it's not the world's fault that that's gone. It is not the world's fault that that's gone. It is not the world's fault that they don't see the power of God anymore. It, is, it lays squarely at our feet. Why should the world be afraid of God? Yeah. They haven't seen His power in a long time. Sporadically here and there, absolutely thankful. There's always, you know, God said there's 7,000 haven't bowed their knee to Baal. God always leaves a remnant. But friend, it shouldn't be just a remnant. I think we've become so much like the world that we're hindering the work of God in our lives. We've stopped walking worthy of the vocation wherewith we were called. Right, the Word of God said. We looked at that this morning, right? We've We've handed in our resignation as ambassadors 
and went on and picked up another job at the Peace Corps or something, something a little easier. Yeah, I know people are, they want an easy road. Absolutely. Listen tonight. Listen. The city of Jericho heard the works and the power of God. It caused them to fear. And it caused a, caused a harlot to confess that Jehovah God is the God of heaven and earth. Let me ask you tonight, what about my life? What about your life? Does the world ever rise up and say that about us? Oh, oh, let me tell you one more thing. Rahab? Remember this woman, Rahab? You know who she's kin to, right? <laughs> she's the great, great grandmother of David. That's pretty cool. You read the genealogy of Matthew? There she is. In the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew, Rahab. Four Gentiles in the genealogy of a Jewish Messiah. I love, I love how the Lord works. Yeah. Listen, don't ever underestimate what a life yielded to God can accomplish. What God can accomplish through that life. What about you tonight? Will you decide? Would you decide tonight? Would we all, all as a church collectively, would we decide tonight to tell the Lord, I'm game. I'll be that life. I'll be it. You know what that means. It's a life of obedience. It's a life of trust. It's a life of faith. It's a life of complete reliance. It's a life of, you know, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. It's not an easy life, but it's a joyful, glorious, rewarding life. And listen, there's nothing greater, there's nothing greater than watching people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because they see the power of God. Right? And if you're right with God, this doesn't bother, this isn't ego, but it's a joy when they see the power of God in your life. Because you know it's not you. You know that. It's Him. You're not like saying, watch me. <laughs> you know. No. What about you tonight? Would you decide tonight? Maybe you'd, maybe you'd, you'd make June 25th the night that you drive the stake into the ground. And say, God, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do with me, here's what I want. I just want the world to see your power. And if they can see it through me, uh, I want that. I want that. They're watching. They're watching. Our Father tonight, thank you. Thank you for this. I do wonder when the last time the world has ever seen your power in the lives of your children here in the United States of America. Here in this state, here in this town, here in this church. Here in my own individual life. Here in the lives of the individuals that are here tonight. Father, would you do that work tonight in us? That we'd yield ourselves to you just to allow you to work in ways that we never imagined. And we'd trust you. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That the world would see that and come to you. 
Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand tonight if you're able, if you will. While the instrument plays, I want to ask a couple questions. This is before God. Can anybody raise their hand before God and say, you know, I, 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 do, I don't know how it looks. I don't know how it works. I, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I really do. I really, I, I really want to be that life. That the world sees the that the world sees your power. I want to be that. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. Would you do this? Would you just use this time at your altar, at your chair, to get alone with God, and let Him know that I want to be that. I, I'm, I'm in. I want to be that person. Let Him know that. And ask Him this. Do this. Ask Him: Is there anything hindering right now at this point? Not tomorrow, but right now. Is there anything hindering tonight? in my life that's hindering you from doing and being what you want to be in my life. Uh, we'll see you Wednesday, visitation Thursday night at 6.30. And uh, be preparing for that and praying for that. And uh, we'll be, uh, we've been over at Ozark and we got some little areas over there we need to finish up. So we might head back over there uh, Thursday night and start trying to finish up some of those neighborhoods over there. So, All right, pray for one another. Men, we'll see you Tuesday morning if you're able. The Big Biscuit for prayer. And I'll be looking forward to that. And uh, we will uh, see you soon.